Grace puts the spotlight on the greatness of God. Grace never magnifies an individual. God is good to us so that we declare his goodness. God is gracious to us so we declare his compassion and loving kindness. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lorenz. Crawford is leading us through a multi-part series called Navigating Life's Challenges, looking at the book of 1 Peter. Now, the Christians in Peter's day understood that word challenges. They suffered severe persecution under the emperor Nero. Peter's letter encouraged those believers to represent the love of Christ before their persecutors, to seek the supernatural power of God in order to reflect godly character amidst those challenges. Well, last week Crawford shared the first half of his message, Marked by Grace, in which he explained what God's grace means to the follower of Christ, specifically as it relates to persecution. And we'll get to the second part of that message in just a moment. If you're new to our broadcast, our speaker has served in Christian leadership for over 50 years. His books include Leadership as an Identity, Unshaken, and his latest, co-authored by his wife Karen, is called Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow. If you missed out on this series, you can get caught up on our website, where you can listen to or download each message. More on that at the end of our broadcast today. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 and note the relationship between God's grace and living in persecution. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. Deliverance comes when we focus on the power that's outside of ourselves. And what Peter is saying is that you've got a greater passion You've got a greater pursuit. Set your eyes on Jesus. Set your eyes on what he's accomplished. Set your eyes on his beauty. Set your eyes on his greatness. Set your eyes on what he has accomplished and what he can do. And when you set your heart and your mind and your eyes on that, you'll find power to overcome. Verse 3, he's reminding us that, hey, be careful about wanting to revisit the past for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking, parties, and lawless idolatry. Uh, he's sort of reminding them, hey, hey, don't romanticize your past misery. Uh, don't, don't, don't look back and celebrate the pleasure of your sin while forgetting the pain of your sin. You, you're going to be tempted to do that. You need to remember that grace is free to you, but it's expensive to God. The gift is free to you, but it cost God everything he had. Uh, don't, don't go back and and cultivate and coddle the pleasure and forget the bondage that you were in. Now, be realistic. You remember how you felt? Remember how dirty and nasty you felt? Remember how closed in you felt? Remember how, how wicked even you felt? Remember the fear? You don't want people to find out what you did. Remember the crazy thinking? It's as if Peter said, you, you, you really want to go back there? 
Yeah, it, it felt good at this level. But it delivered this much garbage. Do you really want to go there? What will you exchange for the grace of God? What, what trade-off are you willing to make? God lavishes his goodness on us. Do you really want to walk away from that to go back here? I think that's Peter's line of reasoning. Don't get a brain cramp. You were delivered from that. Then he warns them about lifestyle issues. But the warning about lifestyle issues is not, not performance-oriented. I think it's connected back up to verse 1, that we've identified with the sufferings of Christ that has accomplished our forgiveness and broken the power of sin. So it's almost as if he says, God keeps pouring this great love on you, unconditional. You know, you're not performing for it. He just keeps giving it to you. Now, why do you want to keep doing this? So he says here in verse 4, verses 4 through 6, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and, and they malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Verse 6, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. I'm going to say a word about that in a second. That, through, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The first part of what he's saying here is that, look, you... Don't, don't go back and do this stuff, man. Now, what Peter's not talking about, he's not saying don't be associated with unbelievers. But the way he's saying is this. You, you have been marked by grace. He's going back to the identity that he's underscored over in chapter 2 that you, you, are, you are a royal priesthood. Look at your nobility. You didn't deserve to be declared that, Crawford. There is nothing in you that warranted that from God. But God just declared that you, you, you are this. You, you are shining lights in the world in which you live. Man, don't go around rolling in the sack and getting drunk and doing all kinds of crazy things. That ain't you. You're a trophy of grace. You're not a memorial to sinfulness. That stuff's been broken in your life. And he's not giving this in performance terms. So you don't want to go there. You, don't, you, you really don't want to do that. No more than I would want to hurt my wife. I don't have the words to tell you how much I love that woman. What I'm trying to say, it is, it is not fear. It's not what she can do to me. At this stage in my life, that woman has sacrificed for this bonehead dude in ways that I can't begin to articulate. She has given of herself to me. And like the sun rises every morning, always caring. Why in the world would I want to do anything to hurt her? And I think this is the spirit of, 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 of Peter's words. Come on, Crawford, look at what God has done for you. He's always been there. He always loves you. He has never rejected you. In fact, he has told you that he loves to show mercy toward you. 
God, tell me again, why do you want to do that? Why do you want to hurt his heart? That's how grace tutors us in holiness. Now, I didn't want to get into this because I can get sideways on this, but I do. You're going to read the text, and if I don't say a word about this, I'll, believe me, I'll get an email. So, let me say something about the line, the gospel preached to those who are dead. You ever read that and wonder, oh, what is he saying here? Now, this is among one of the most controversial texts in the New Testament here, and I, I'm not going to give you all the arguments, but let me give you one of the top-line uh, positions on this, which is not my position if you read the commentaries. One position for those people who believe in what is known as a two-compartment theory will say that what this is an allusion to is that when Jesus died and he was buried, and one of our creeds says he descended into, quote, Hades, um, this position holds that Jesus turned and preached to those who had died and had not heard about the gospel and that they placed their faith in him. I have theological problems with that position for a number of reasons, not the least of which is this, that it, ten, it preaches a gospel of a second, that somehow or another you can reject God in this life and reject your knowledge of him and you'll get another opportunity after you die. The Bible says there's a point in a man wants to die and after that the judgment. And so I have issues with that position and I don't think the text warrants that position. My position on this is this. I don't think it's as heavy as we think. I think in context that Peter is really talking about and reminding his readers of those who have been martyred for their faith. That's what he's saying. No, they have trusted him and he's saying, look at these great soldiers of grace who were faithful who suffered the same way you're suffering. You're not the only person that's been persecuted, and you're not the only one whose life will be taken away from them because of their stance. So thus he says, and he says, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. Why? Well, you look back in text. In the text, they were faithful to the grace and the love of God. They did not give in to the pressures around them or their sinful past. And he's saying, you, you need to live a noble life and be inspired by those who have been, have been martyred. And then the line, judged in the flesh, I think it's a reference to that while we're in our human bodies, we're judged by human standards. So altogether, Peter is talking about, look at what this grace does. It not only saves you, <laughs> but it sustains you. Now, secondly, real quickly, that's the power of God's grace. The second aspect is the motivation of his grace. And he clicks off four motivations. Now, I'll tip my hand, hand here. The last one, I think actually Peter's going like this. The last motivation is the summum bonum. It is the penultimate, is the ultimate motivation. But he, Peter turns and says, this is what this grace ought to do in your attitude and in your life. Crawford, there's nothing you can do to make me love you more. I'm good to you because I love you, and I just want to be good to you. I give you stuff there ain't no way in the world you would ever deserve with a thousand lives, but I just want to do it. Now, what should that do in me? Peter says that there are four 
characteristics, four motivational f- motivations that should come bursting to the scene. The first motivation is found here in verse 7, and that is that we're, we're motivated by a spirit of urgency. Verse 7 says, the end of all things that is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. You go, the end of all things is at hand. He says, oh, Crawford, he wrote that like uh, almost 2,000 years ago. What does it mean, the end of all things at hand? Jesus didn't come since he wrote that. What does he mean about the end of all things at hand? Well, whenever the writers of the New Testament use the expression at hand, what they meant was is that the coming of Jesus was imminent, meaning that nothing else needs to happen before he comes. He could come the next minute. It could be another thousand, two thousand years from now. I, I don't believe that, but it could be. And by the way, let me just encourage you. I know you, I know you, let me encourage you. Stay away from people who set dates. Some of these folks ought to be glad we ain't living in Old Testament times. I'm just saying, be a lot of rocks thrown. Stay away from folks like that. The point being is that there is mystery because God wants us to live urgently. He could come before I finish saying this next sentence. Nothing else needs to take place. And this is what Peter's talking about. Because of that, come on, come on, come on, come on. You you don't control anything. He could say at any moment, he could come at any moment, I'm here. Live urgently. One of the great problems that we have with Christianity in the Western world, we're far too casual. We are just too casual, and our, our, our casual minds borders on arrogance. Where we can think we can procrastinate our growth and development. I got all the time in the world, and we have this perverted view of God's grace and mercy that extracts accountability from the process. And Peter says, no, (laughs) wait, buddy. And then he tells him, you need to think clearly. That's what the whole expression here, uh, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded. Notice why, for the sake of your prayers. You need to think clearly, urgently, so that your prayers can be focused. When you pray about stuff that really matters, I think that's the import of what he's saying here. Peter says, think right, so that your prayers can be focused. The second motivation that he articulates here is that uh, we, we should, grace motivates us to love. He says in verse 8, above all, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. I want you to couple the word love and earnest together. The word earnest there is, is, is the word to strain. It's, it's, it's effort and intensity. And I think what Peter is saying is that, you know, you're dealing with some folks perhaps in the, bi- in the body that's not easy to love. You get strained to love them. You're dealing with folks who've done things to you, who have hurt you. You get strained to love them. This is connected with God's grace. How does he love us? I've done things that have, that's hurt the heart of God. I've trespassed his his testimonies and his commandments. I've not always been loyal and faithful to him. 
And yet the Bible says, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Peter is saying, how should you love one another? Stop with the cheap love. Stop with the quid pro quo love. Stop with the stuff, I do this for you, then you do this for me. No, love, strain, do it. And then he says, and this, this kind of love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, let me say what this verse is not saying. He is not suggesting that love does not see sin. Neither is he saying that love does not confront sin. Neither is he saying that love does not help the person who's sinning to overcome their sin. But what he is saying is that love, love sees clearly the sins of others. That love accepts the faults and the failures of others, but never walks away from them. Don't be so quick to walk away from people. In the back of Peter's mind, I'm thinking he's probably thinking, hey, careful. We all have mess. You want people to take a stage exit on you? And I want you to strain to sacrifice to love them. Verse 9 tells us that, that they are to show hospitality. And I think that's dropped in the context. This was a nomadic community. These people have been displaced. They are traveling from all over. They've been uprooted. They were coming after them in Jerusalem. They're scattered abroad there. And so Peter's saying, hey, if you love them, put out an extra plate for them. Give them a bed to lay down. Help them to get back on their feet. Network for them. Reach in your pocket. Give them some shekels and help them. Why? Because of grace. Did God do that for you? Urgency, love. And then thirdly, service. Grace shows itself up in our service. Peter reminds them that what's been given to us Verse 10 says, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And I want you to look at the word steward there. The spiritual gifts that we have, they're a gift of grace. That's such a wonderful thing. And I wish we would understand this. It's a, it's a gift of grace. In other words, in other words, when we came to Jesus, now your spiritual gift is not your natural talents. They're not your natural abilities. That's not spiritual gifts. When we came to Jesus, what God did by his spirit says, you know, Crawford, I love you so much. I'm gonna give you something that you didn't have before you came to me. And whenever you use the, this gift that I'm giving to you, it is your particular expression of the grace of God, I should say. It's God's particular expression of the grace of God through you. Notice he uses the term steward. That's oikonomia. It, 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 means, it means household manager. A household manager had no wealth, no resources but he or she managed the wealth of their master. And it's a marvelous word picture. This is how the wealth of God is, is, is demonstrated through you whenever you use your spiritual gift. 
this is the reason why I, I, I shudder and shake when I hear people preach on spiritual gifts as if they're a, path, a pathway to self-actualization. It has nothing to do with a statement of your value or significance. It has all to do with the expression of the grace of God through me to bless you. Stewards of that. I, you, you know how it feels, how wonderful it feels? I, I can't tell you, we, all of us have gifts. And when you use your gift, there is a certain, there's a sense of joy that comes over you. And I, I just have to tell you, I just have to tell you, when, when, whenever, whenever somebody sends me an email or says that, Crawford, I read one of your books and God used it in my life. Or heard the radio program and God did this in my life. Or this message meant so much to me. You know what that does to me? Now, I'm not going to say I never struggle with pride. Pride is always around. But over the last 10 years or so, you know what, what feeling I have more often than not? I am so humbled by that. That God would use a cracked, chipped clay pot, give a knucklehead a gift that will bless others. So whether your gift is hospitality, administration, teaching, whatever it might be, Peter says, that's to do it with all of your heart. Why? Because I'm demonstrating my grace to others through you. And the final one is this, which I actually said before is really the ultimate. I think this is where the movement of the text is going. The ultimate motivation is given to us in the last part of verse 11. It says, in order that in everything God may be glorified. Grace puts the spotlight on the greatness of God. Grace never magnifies an individual. God is good to us so that we declare his goodness. God is gracious to us so we declare his compassion and loving kindness. We're so grateful and we never get over. Dr. Crawford Loritz here on Living a Legacy. Grace shows itself up in our urgency, love, service, and the greatness of God. Marked by Grace, the title of today's message, and it's really a great prelude to our coming Easter week. Well, Crawford is leading us through the series, Navigating Life's Challenges, based on the book of First Peter, and we're learning how to function biblically in times of persecution. If you've recently joined our series, you don't have to feel left out. All previous messages can be heard on our website, livingalegacy.org. Look for the Past Programs link. And if you'd like to keep these messages for later reference, they're available to download for free. Look for the MP3 link on our website. That will take you to Moody Audio, where you can transfer the messages to your computer or MP3 player. Start with livingalegacy.org. If you're finding this series helpful, take just a few moments to let us know. Your feedback and financial support are very important. Look for the contact link at livingalegacy.org. Well, thanks for being a part of our study today. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.